Welcome to the Royal Diaries, Unlocking History. My name is Julia. My name is Felicia. We are sisters who love books, history, and talking about them both. We're doing a deep dive into the Royal Diaries series. Come with us as we learn about the girls who became women that shaped history. rain podcast but mary queen of scots queen of a country by Catherine lasky mary the young scottish queen is sent a diary from her mother in which she records her experiences living at the court of francis king henry ii as she awaits her marriage to henry's son francis all right so this episode is hopefully going to be somewhat hefty and it is definitely going to be heavy well, yeah, because even though she doesn't get to it at the end, which is weird, Mary Queen of Scots has a pretty tragic life. Yep. I mean, whenever I think about Mary Queen of Scots, I think about that even more terrible Tudors book. You remember, like, from the Horrible Histories? Yes. And that iconic quote from it, uh, she became queen when she was six days old and probably celebrated by wetting her nappy. There we go. And, Yeah. <laughs> So, this episode is not all about Mary Queen of Scots, the 2018 film, hating on it, nor is it about arguing that Rain might have been the CW's best show since Nikita, nor is it a Catherine de' Medici apologetic. It's about how this woman, I think in more than any of the women that we've covered so far, except maybe Marie Antoinette, has really taken on her own mythological status. Hmm. It seems that there are some undisputable facts about Mary, Queen of Scots that we cannot get away from. One, she was never able to realize her potential and we missed out on a great ruler. Two, she married Darnley purely out of impulsive love. And three, she was a victim of her jealous cousin Elizabeth. I hope to dispute some of these claims just a bit or at least complicate our reading of her. This is going to be a bit of a longer introduction but I just really think that this quote from Alison Weir really gets at how we do and do not view Mary Queen of Scots. Um, spoiler alert, she might have had her second husband Lord Darnley murdered or at least she was very much involved in the cover-up. But anyways, after Darnley's murder, which led to her enforced abdication and her long imprisonment in England, she's become a contentious figure. Scottish Calvinists saw her as an adulteress and murderess, and for political reasons vigorously painted her as such, while Mary's Catholic and Loyalist supporters regarded her as a wronged heroine. As memories of the murder faded, she became the hope of the Counter-Reformation and the focus for Catholic plots against Elizabeth I. Mary herself consciously fostered a pious image, which culminated in her calculated and dramatic appearance as a martyr for her faith at her execution in 1587. English Protestants, it should be remembered, found her an altogether more sinister figure and not without reason. Yet Mary's dignified courage as she faced the block has had a profound effect on the ways in which most of her biographers have portrayed her. This image has, to a great extent, swept away darker contemporary perceptions of her, and as time passed, it helped to enshrine her in romance and legend. 
Therefore, anyone writing about Mary Queen of Scots today has to penetrate beyond the several stereotypical images that have evolved throughout the centuries. The adulteress and murderess, the femme fatale, the romantic tragic heroine, the religious martyr, and the foolish victim of her own passions to look for the real Mary and attempt to establish some estimation of her true character. That's a lot. I know, right? But it's interesting. Every single one of those archetypes, if someone were to say, ask me, describe Mary Queen of Scots, I would probably rattle off those ones. Mm-hmm. Like, in some ways, almost anything that could be written about Mary Queen of Scots has been written. Mm-hmm. Antonia Fraser wrote what's now considered to be the definitive biography, which I'm also using as a source. And unlike many of the women we have been looking at, the historiography regarding Mary has shifted so much in the almost 500 years since her death. I want to contextualize Mary more than anything. We all know the main story beats. She was a queen at less than a week old. She spent the majority of her childhood and adolescence in France. She was married three times, might have murdered one of her husbands. She was imprisoned by her cousin Elizabeth I and was executed on the 8th of February, 1587. If anyone ever had a perfect three-act play style type of life, it was definitely her. But before we go and we get into all of that, what did you think about the book? Okay. First time you read it, and then upon the reread. So to be honest, I genuinely can't remember when I first read this book. It didn't stand out to me. You know what it was? I think talking about that idea of my expectations going into the book when I was a young person, because I didn't know that Mary was raised in the French court. So when I was reading this, she's obviously in France, I feel like that's for some reason why it didn't stick around as much because I went into being like, yeah, let's read about Scotland and then it's France. And so I think my, I don't know, my youth mind was just like, eh, whatever. See, you clearly did not wake up super early on a Saturday one time, go downstairs to find your father watching Gunpowder, Treason, and Plot, mm. and then sitting down next to him, and then him being like, let's go and talk about all this. I was, Why is she talking in French if she's Scottish? Well, Julia. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Here's the tale. Exactly. Yeah. So, so this almost was me reading it fresh eyes on this reread. Some of the stuff felt vaguely familiar, but then, wait, am I remembering this from the book, or am I remembering this? from watching the first three seasons of Rain. Mm-hmm. And that was the debatable part for me. Like, I remember, oh, yeah, I remember these descriptions about Diane de Poitiers. I remember there being something with her, there being spying and all this other kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But really, a lot of the stuff, I just was like, what is this? So, yeah, uh, overall, it's interesting because this is Catherine Lasky's, was it third? Third, third book. So she did Elizabeth and she did Marie Antoinette. Mm-hmm. And I thought what was interesting was because, like, Elizabeth's 10 years older than Mary so and their cousin so it was just interesting when I was thinking about this book while I was remembering the Elizabeth one and how she wanted to characterize both women as individuals Mm -hmm. but then maybe show that because they're cousins there's some similarities there Mm. because that's how we always like to compare the two yes and then the other thing too though I found was interesting was the Marie Antoinette book it led up to the climax of you would think it would be her getting married to Louis because like the whole Mm -hmm. book is her getting prepped for it and then it continues onwards this one it was more like she's leading up to have her first communion yeah which I'm not Catholic and maybe this is more of a modern thing but she's much older than someone who would probably get their first communion as like as far as I know 
I am. I cannot comment. Anyway, I too anyways, am not a Catholic. Anyways, so the the whole the whole point of in this book is her preparing herself and trying to become a better person, and and it's very loosely threaded. She's preparing to become a better person so she can take her proper first communion. Gives and should... which really only becomes a plot point in like the last third of the book. Yeah, and then it's just okay. Um, and then we don't even get to see that. You would think that because she did marry Francis very young that that would be actually more of a thing of how do you go from being this is a childhood friend to now you are politically allied to marriage and like whatever but then I'm like eh, just watch the tv show rain and then there was also the I didn't remember it but I did I did kind of almost like the plot point with one of her Marys of the four Marys being a victim of sexual harassment and mm-hmm. then potentially like assault not because like oh I like that for drama but I appreciated how twofold it was here's something that can happen in a modern context where you have someone who is an instructor or like he's supposed to be teaching the music mm-hmm. and he isolates one of the girls and she basically is to all that grooming it's our secret kind of stuff and she's ashamed and she's scared this is a great way to almost tell young women who are reading this book this is wrong and you should actually be you should tell your friends about it like something should be happening and it should stop from that perspective this is a nice maybe way that a young woman who's reading this book and is like hey this sounds like my creepy music instructor i'm like yes it is get help but maybe not the best mary queen of scots book no not at all (laughs) yeah and i mean even with the music instructor like oh yeah we really have to go and make the guy with a nervous condition who's also like ugly looking to be the bad guy yeah the predator guy as opposed to the other scotsman who mary has this rapport with who she low-key has a crush low-key has a crush on and is sexually awakening to but it's cool because he's hot as opposed to he's not hot Ergo, he has to be evil well yeah so anyways yeah that's basically it for the book and plot wise that's pretty much it for the book too i know it's I mean, I've seen some of the tweets from our followers, which, again, thank you for interacting with us. But some people say, I really love this. I'm sorry, fam, I do not like this book. I think, too, as well, is that it doesn't have a really good driving narrative force outside of just day in her life. Mm-hmm. And I think also, too, is that my sense of who she was as a person, I didn't think that I got to know her more. I just got to learn about who she wasn't, not who she was, if that makes sense. Yeah, she does that thing where a young person is trying to model themselves off of different people in their lives. Mm -hmm. So by her, you know, pointing out what she admires about Diane, the king's mistress, and how she wants to be more like that, that gives me more of an understanding of, okay, well, she's aiming to be this type of a person as opposed to how she's boo-worms on her future mother-in-law, Catherine de' Medici. So... Iconically played by Megan Follows in Rain. I just, I like, when people go and talk about that meme, they understood the assignment. I mean, (laughs) Megan Follows, she understood the assignment. She wrote the book. She passed the exam. She led the class. I'm sorry, but I always think about that iconic thing where she and Lord Narcisse are trying to get blood out of the carpet because they accidentally did a murder, I think. And she's just like, how do you you get blood out of the carpet? And he says, I don't 
know, like, we have servants for that. And I'm just like, oh, my God, rich people problems. <laughs> what think, is happening here? I think also my favorite is when she definitely gets told sniving and conniving and just a look of, oh, you know You him. know me? Oh, like, how I'm so flattered. Exactly. I'm pretty sure we were taking notes of, like, some of the sweet Catherine de Medici burns that were present throughout the entire show. Anyways, um, this is not a rain podcast. This is not a rain podcast. <laughs> But anyways, so I mean, I think also too, for me with the book, it's just that after doing more research on Mary, there were better years, even when she was younger, that you could have been focusing on. Mm. But anyways, that all being said, what do you know about Mary, Queen of Scots? I mean, you sort of gave those high level bullet points about became queen. She was an infant, Mm -hmm. moves to France for her own safety, grows up at the French court. Marries Francis, he dies, then she marries another dude, comes back to Scotland, and then Clemence Posé is like, I am Scottish, even though she's very French. Mm-hmm. David Tennant has a really nasty beard, and he's John Knox, and he's really harassing to her, and drama with her musician being killed by her husband, her, sec- who, her second husband, I think. And then her next husband ends up killing that dude, but then she's like, I had no idea about it. But then it's okay, because this was his face from Grey's Anatomy, and he's really hot. Yay, Bothwell. And then Elizabeth is angry, and she looks like a clown, and then she gets locked into prison. And then, flash forward, it feels like ten minutes later, she gets her head chopped off. And Elizabeth's pacing up and down, being like, I've killed the Lord's anointed! Oh, Elizabeth! So you basically like <laughs> took like the last season of Rain, that really not great film from 2018, and Gunpowder, Treason, and Plot, and just sort of sandwiched it all together. I also but- I also peppered in the Elizabeth movie starring Kate Blanchett because that also is a critical point for her where she's freaking out about killing uh, her cousin. Yeah, because I was in the golden age. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Anyways, but so you, you kind of hit a lot of the high things. But Other than that, it's like zero. So let's just go and dive in and start at the beginning. So she was born on the 8th of December, 1542. And when the news was brought to her father of the birth of his daughter, he turned his face to the wall, recalling that the crown had descended to the Stuart dynasty through Marjorie, daughter of King Robert the Bruce, and muttered, it came from a woman and it will end in a woman. Thanks, Dad. Her father, James V, clearly did not realize how prophetic his words would end up becoming, although, quick note, the last Stuart monarch was Queen Anne of Great Britain, who died in 1714, and then you have the crisis, and then we have the Hanoverians roll in. Fair enough. But it's kind of implied in that way, because she was born into a world of conflict, Scottish versus English, Catholic versus Protestantism, the Renaissance versus the Reformation to a certain extent, God versus science. Mary's ascension to the throne at such a young age, however, was the norm at that point in Scottish history. To back up a bit, Mary was the daughter of the aforementioned James V and Mary de Guise. Heads up, we are going to have a lot of people with the same name, so get out your flow charts, fam. For real. Her father had ascended to the throne when he was just over a year old, just like his father, also called James, became king when he was 15. Her mother was actually her father's second wife. 
Jamie V had been married to Madeleine of France for six months in 1537. She was the daughter of Francis I, who was Henry II's father. It's only going to get more confusing. No, already I'm feeling like that meme with the lady doing the math. Yeah, exactly. Hi. James and Marie married in 1538. Mary de Guise came with a very handsome dowry, and she had been married before and had given birth to a son who survived past infancy. And I really love this quote from Fraser. And the context is, is that James V, he's looking for a wife, and he goes and he meets Mary of Guise. So matrimonially suitable did she seem indeed in terms of the time. And that autumn of the same year, Henry VIII also offered for Mary de Guise's hand right. after the death of Jane Seymour. He referred approvingly to her fine stature, at which Mary of Guise said to have wittily replied that although her figure was big, her neck was small. Snap, snap, snap. Exactly. Wasn't there someone who also clapped back at Henry when they proposed and they said, alas, I only have but one neck? Uh, that was, I'm pretty sure, one of the princesses of Denmark who said, if I had two heads, I could maybe spare him one. Blah, blah, blah. Exactly. <laughs> so... But at this point, though, because James V, he's ha that's his second French wife. Mm. So we're already seeing how France and Scotland are getting tighter and tighter, especially once Margaret Tudor was no longer really in the picture. And England broke with the Catholic Church and with Protestantism, particularly Calvinism, growing in Scotland. Things were already starting to get a bit dicey. And yes, James V really did die when she was six days old. He had lost the battle. And it's pretty much like, no one's sure why this man died. It mm. seemed like he just kind of rolled over and lost his will to live. Did he lose the battle? Is that maybe? He did lose the battle. Also, you have to understand, too, within that point, he really loved his first wife. Mm. He was supposed to marry one of her older sisters. He met her, and he was like, I want to marry her. The other and, one, yeah. Yeah, Madeline. And it wasn't even just that. She did come of a good dowry, which was helpful, because Scotland was pretty bankrupt at this point. Yeah. I want to marry her. Francis said, my daughter's super sickly. She's not going to go and survive in the Scottish climate. She's been living in the, the Loire Valley and further down south of France because she had a very delicate constitution. Probably TB. Yeah, probably. Yeah. But they finally do manage to get married. And truly, she gets to Scotland. And then a few months later, she dies. Yeah, that'd be a real bummer. Yeah, and then he and Mary de Guise, they had two sons, one who died after two months and the other who died after a year, mm. and then she had Mary. Oh. So he had a lot of personal tragedy at that point where, you know, I don't really care too much about men's feelings, but if he, <laughs> gave, if he said, I don't have the will to live anymore, like, I can understand that. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. But anyways, at this point, as we know from the book, Mary is, you know, she was the queen at that point. One of her uncles was acting as her regent, and then her mother was to act as her regent. And because of Protestant uprisings, it was basically deemed that it's safer for her to be in France. Mm -hmm. Because at that point, she was betrothed to Francis. She'd be raised in the same court as him, all of that type of jazz. And it would just be better for her own safety. Mm -hmm. So that's why she got shipped off to France. It feels like, yes, that makes sense. But I feel like someone wasn't actually forecasting ahead and saying, okay, but how are you supposed to rule Scotland and be the Queen of France simultaneously? 
Well, and that kind of, and we're going to go and unpack that a little bit more. But yeah. I mean, Mary, she was a queen. Like, we knew she was a queen. But yes. nobody really expected her to be a queen. Ah. And there's a difference in that, right? So her time at court in real life versus her time at court in the book, from what I could tell, there were not that much variation. She did have the four Marys. She was very much good friends and got along with Diane de Poitiers. Henry II also really liked her too. She was close friends with Francis. They did get along and they did care about each other. She actually wasn't as acrimonious with Catherine de Medici as people made as it's made out to be. Well, I mean, you gotta have the drama, right? You have to have the drama, and also, again, this is not a Cavan de Medici apologetic. But Cavan de Medici is a much more complicated and interesting figure than she's really given time and space for in this book. Mm. She has to be the evil and wicked stepmother. Of course she has to be ugly, even though she wasn't actually considered to be ugly. Well, they kept calling her plump, and I'm thinking, she's had how many pregnancies at this point, too? Yeah, exactly. So, And also, she wasn't considered be super plump IRL anyways. Yeah. She was just like, again, the way any woman who's had a bunch of kids, her waist thickened, but wasn't like, and even then, there's nothing wrong if she was fat anyways, but you get my point, right? 100%. Yeah. So... I mean, was she conniving? Was she determined to go and keep the Valwell family in power? Was she really smart about how she used the arts and poisons? Hell yes. Well, I believe that in this book, her motivation for being anti-Mary, or at least in Mary's perception of being anti-her, doesn't actually make sense. Versus Mm -hmm. in Rain, Nostradamus predicts that if Mary and Francis get together, Francis will die. die. So, to preserve the line, she's like, I gotta break up this relationship. Exactly. It can't happen. Do you ever just go and think about the galaxy brain levels of historically inaccurate but amazing plotting? Oh my god. No, because the writers of Rain... 100% they probably use this book initially as like maybe a a jump off point where's the actual conflict here if you want a good villain Mm -hmm. you can't just have it being they're bad for the sake of being bad Bad. every person who has been the bad person in their own mind they think they have a good and justifiable reason yep therefore you can at least understand it even if you don't agree with what they're doing you as the viewer or person who's watching is I would never do that but I get it. Pretty much. Okay, sorry. Anyways. This is not a rain podcast. This is not a rain podcast. Court in France, it was Catholic. It was where she did not have a lot of, there was no expectations of her other than to really go and be his wife. Because at this point, like her mom's the regent and things are starting to fall apart in Scotland. Yeah. And, and do they even think about Scotland as a place to rule at this point? Well, Well, I'm just thinking from in terms of, you know, sometimes you have a country and it's like, well, nobody actually really lives there or rules there. We just sort of own it and use the resources or something. Well, the whole deal was is that, I'll unpack this more, but at one point there was this whole idea that if Mary and Francis died without children, that Scotland would become part of France. Which makes sense because there is a precedent with England and France previously. Like, look at Eleanor, Eleanor Aquitaine and, and Richard the Lionheart and all that stuff. They were French people. That was the whole thing. When England was conquered with William the Conqueror in the spoils of war, mm-hmm. he basically said, okay, I have two sons. Son one, you get France, which is better. Son two, 
have fun. You can have England. Like, yeah. the garbage dump. <laughs> exactly. So, that was basically what the plan was. But anyways, a whole cramp goes in style when Francis dies. Mm. And, yeah, he's the blonde dude from Rain. Hey, Toby Regbo. And he died after two years of marriage of an ear infection in December of 1560. Or maybe it was meningitis. We don't know for sure. He was never a super robust dude. Good for Toby, though. He did such a good job. Toby making... Regbo brought so much he brought, he brought so much to this delicate flower of a boring-ass character. I that know. For me, when they just kept trying to push this bad boy bash business, I'm like, get out of here, you weird OC character. You're not needed. Exactly. I just need Toby. <laughs> well, and also, too, is that the moment that let's go and put Bash and Kenna together, I was like, oh, oh brilliant. Exactly. This is not a rain podcast. It's not a rain podcast. (laughs) Anyways, what we do know is that we don't know how Francis died, but we do know that Mary left for Scotland shortly afterwards in 1561. Now, how long was Mary the undisputed queen in Scotland after she came back? How many years do you think? I feel like it was probably under 10 or something stupid. I know she spent more time in prison than actually being a queen in Scotland. So... During those six years that Mary was in Scotland, she got remarried. She then had her best friend murdered in front of her. She had a baby. Her husband was murdered. She was kidnapped and probably forced to marry Bothwell. And then she had to abdicate in favor of her infant son. I just also want to say, by the way... What's your five-year plan look like? (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Okay, also, Kevin McKidd does have a tendency of playing assholes. Sorry to the two Owen Hunt fans in the world who might possibly be... Li- it's like, the moment they used to talk shit about Owen Hunt, the one fangirl hears it. It's like, are you talking... I was like, no, he's terrible. They're coming for us. They're Shut coming. Up. Anyways. <laughs> um, but anyways, wow, Bothwell. What a piece of work. Really? I thought he was so nice in Gunpowder, Treason, and Plot. <laughs> You seem like such a nice guy. Okay, but anyways. Dang it. Let's just break this down. So she married Henry Stewart, Lord Darnley, in 1565. That's four years afterwards, and she after she had arrived. This marriage is often framed as her being super in love with him, which couldn't be true. But it also did not hurt that he was a direct descendant of Margaret Tudor on his maternal side. He was her first cousin, sort of. Okay. He was the second but eldest surviving son of Matthew Stewart, who was the fourth Earl of Lennox, by his wife, Lady Margaret Douglas. Darnley's maternal grandparents were Archibald Douglas, the sixth Earl of Angus, and Lady Margaret Tudor, who was the daughter of Henry VII of England and the widow of James IV of Scotland. I'm imagining all of this in my head right now. Okay, I got it. Yeah, okay. It turns out, though, that after she married him, she really liked him. He was sporty. He wasn't a dummy. He was cute. But it turns out that he was a dick. And him drinking a whole lot did not help. Uh, this is, again, this is not, also, it's like, there's nothing wrong if you struggle with alcoholism, but try not to be a dick and be a little bit self-reflective in this. Substance abuse problem strikes again. Exactly. He was vain, arrogant, and had many unreliable qualities, which threatened the well-being of the state. 
Darnley was unpopular with the other nobles and had a violent streak, which was aggravated by his drinking. Oh, dear. Mary also refused to grant Darnley the crown matrimonial, which would have made him the successor to the throne if she died without a child. And regardless, so Mary was pregnant very soon after the wedding. So the second part of things that happened. Mary's private secretary, David Rizzio, was stabbed 56 times Sheesh. on the 9th of March, 1566, by Darnley and his associates, mostly Protestant Scottish nobles, in front of Mary, who was six months pregnant at the time. So there are red flags, and then there's just... Stabbing. Red everything stabbing. Yes. Run, bitch, Run! <laughs> And according to English diplomats, Thomas Randolph and the Earl of Bedford, Rizzo's murder, who was rumored to be the father of Mary's unborn child, but probably not, was part of Darnley's bid to force Mary to cede the crown matrimonial to him. Doesn't this character get queered a lot in a lot of yeah. in a lot of depictions? And it's like Darnley doesn't understand how Mary can be close friends with another dude, but then she's don't worry, he's not like that. You know, he's gay, so don't worry, we're cool. And Darnley gets jealous and drunk, and I don't like how this Italian guy likes clothes and fashion and plays music. I'm gonna stab him. I mean, there is a little bit of truth in television in that. Mm. Some historians do think that David Rizzio probably was having homosexual relationships. Mm. I'm not saying that he was gay, because having a gay identity at that time just wasn't a thing. Fair enough. But yeah, he was really close to the queen, because he was initially just supposed to be a court entertainer, and then he became her private secretary. Yeah, which, which is, is a very intimate position. Yeah, and because when we think about a secretary now, it's a, oh, it's just this random person at desk. Like, <laughs> take, take my dry cleaning to the down the street, Deb. Well, it's... <laughs> way more at the time. Yeah, especially think about the only main way of communication is correspondence. Exactly. So this person is taking care of her private correspondence. Well, and also, too, is that he'd be helping of organizing her household, a bunch of stuff, too. Like the budget and a bunch of things. Exactly. And it is later uncovered that Darnley had made a deal with his allies to advance his claim on the crown matrimonial in the Parliament of Scotland in return for restoring their lands and titles, which he would have done if he had been given that role. So he's like, come help me stab this dude to scare my wife into giving me power so then I can give you back your land. Pretty much. Yeah. I I feel like that I understand the go big or go home, take a big risk, but what the hell, man? I know. And the whole thing is that the lands being taken away along with the titles was really a side effect of Mary, a staunch Catholic, coming back to a country that had basically gone through the Reformation and was very Calvinist Protestant at this point. Yeah. That's essentially what she was dealing with in the four years before she married Darnley. Mm. But anyways, she was clearly not happy over what happened, and she and Darnley became estranged. That's putting it lightly. Yeah. Oh my gosh. On the 19th of June, 1566, so a few months later, she gives birth to their son, James. She's really fortunate that she was able to, like, still carry the pregnancy through. Oh, yeah. After seeing something that traumatic. Well, and also, in some portrayals, it's a a knife is held against her belly. They held a gun up to her. That's a well-known thing. Oh, my gosh. But James, he has one of the most ironic godmothers of all time, Elizabeth I of England. I mean, it vibes. Yeah. Eight months later... (laughs) Nothing else about this lady's life is conventional. I know, right? (laughs) 
it kind of occurs to you that this is really like two years of hell right now. But anyways, eight months later, Darnley is murdered. And we know for sure that he was. There is no question about that. What an unfortunate accident. Uh, except it's not even an accident. What an unfortunate straight up murder. Exactly. <laughs> um, Alison Weir does a great job examining the primary sources and tracing a portrait of Mary and Darnley's relationship. And I recommend you read it. If you like history and you like a good murder mystery, Alison Weir's Mary Queen of Scots and Darnley's Murder, I'm just paraphrasing the title right now because I don't have it in front of me. Mm. It's a wild ride. Amazing. Yes. Who murdered him? We are not sure. Does anyone care? No. <laughs> I mean, most historians think at this point that James Hepburn, the fourth Earl of Bothwell, probably orchestrated it. Hmm. And after Darnley dies, everything quickly starts to implode for Mary. Which is a shame, because you'd think she'd be living her best summer self, or whatever that stupid phrase is floating around the internet. I know. It's pretty much agreed that she and Boffle married under very sus circumstances, no matter what, shortly afterwards. Oh. And that Mary may not have known that Darnley was going to go and get murdered. That is definitely up for debate. But she was definitely aware of the cover-up. Yeah. Yeah. So, and another thing, too, is that with Bothell, that's a whole mess, which you can go and get more into. But after they married, the nation was very divided. Bothell was unpopular with the lords, the people. And it seemed in the end that all he was trying to do was a power grab to become king. Mm. And what happened afterwards is that there was an uprising. Mary was imprisoned. She escaped. She failed with another uprising, eventually fleeing south. And Boffel dicked off to Scandinavia, where he was then imprisoned because he totally forgot that he had dicked and ditched two women there before. So he How do you forget that you dicked and ditched people in a totally random foreign country? I think I'll go back to random foreign country. Bafa was not that smart. Okay, he wasn't stupid, but he bet on certain horses and it didn't work. He is like a prototype gangster yeah. type of person. The thing is, is that it's pretty much agreed that he and Mary probably were involved in some capacity before Darnley died. Yeah. Most historians think that he definitely kidnapped her and then basically either raped her oh. or coerced her into marrying him. But either way... They did get married. Yeah. Well, I mean, who knows what the circumstances, but, you know, she has her garbage husband mm-hmm. who's killing her close friend in front of her. Yep. This guy shows up and says, I hear that your husband's a real a-hole. Well, and also, but she had known him for years, so it wasn't like he just randomly showed up on the scene. No, like a, not like a rando, but I'm just saying he, you know, he's like, hey, I hear you're having a rough time of things. I'm your friend, blah, blah, yeah. blah. If you ever need anything, just let me know. And she said, sure, maybe I'll give you a call later. She calls him and she says, remember how you said you would take care of things? Uh, it'd be great if you could take care of things. He's like, oh, I'll take care of them. And she didn't maybe understand what take care means. I mean, we don't... We don't know. <laughs> and then next thing you know, he's, remember that thing? I took care of it. So now you owe me, honey buns. And, no! Yeah, I mean, you could read it that way if you want to. I will not hold it against anybody who does. Yeah. But anyways, so Mary headed south where there are two things to really keep in mind. She thought that Elizabeth would want Mary to be secured in her throne 
And she did not think that she could really be held accountable in, by any court because she was a queen anointed by God. She went to England and never returned to Scotland. Mm. As we all know, she was imprisoned for England for the final like, 19-ish years of her life. But why? Yeah, that is always a question because I thought, I knew she went to seek refuge, you know, queen to queen kind of thing. She'll help me out. Yeah, so I have no idea. Or was it, I'll take care of you. And then she, I would like to leave now. No, 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 you can't leave. (laughs) So it's a bit more of the latter. And I'm going to give a very high level overview of what happened. Okay. So there was an inquiry done by the English with the Scottish lords into Darnley's murder and her possible role with them. The main evidence against her were the quote-unquote casket letters, which were a series of eight letters that basically implicate Mary in the plot. Mm. Now, that all being said, there was no guilty verdict. Elizabeth, yes, that Elizabeth, saw and gave the verdict. Which makes sense because, I'm sorry, but if you're a queen and someone's being a dink and you just have them killed, isn't that par for the course for Stuarts and Tudors? I mean... So if someone says, I would like to arrest Henry VIII for killing Anne Boleyn, no one's going to do that. Yeah. Elizabeth concluded the inquiry with a verdict that nothing was proven against either the Scottish lords or Mary. Elizabeth wished neither to convict nor acquit Mary for the murder. There was never any intention to conduct proper court procedure. The conference was intended as a political exercise. In the end, Moray, James VI's regent, returned to Scotland and Mary remained in custody in England. Elizabeth succeeded in maintaining a Protestant government in Scotland without either condemning or releasing her fellow sovereign. I'm sorry, but like finger snaps to Elizabeth for being able to ride that middle of the road line. I know. And it's like the audacity. You gotta love it. And you see it and you love it. In Antonia Fraser's estimation, it was one of the strangest trials in legal history, ending with no finding of guilt against either party, one who was allowed to return home to Scotland while the other remained in custody. That is very complicated. So Mary is stuck in England and basically spends almost 20 years being sent from manor house to manor house within the English interior. But how does it all really end? Because that's why she's stuck there. Yes. But that's not why things ended for her. Yes. So the Babington plot was when the chickens really came home to roost. And I'm not going to go and get into major details of the plot. Just what you need to know that there was a conspiracy to assassinate Elizabeth I and put Mary, a Catholic, on the English throne. I would just like to point out, refer back to the Elizabeth I episode where I talked about how many plots there were against to kill Elizabeth because number one, she's a woman, but number two, more importantly, she's a Protestant queen. Yeah. Gotta get rid of her. Instead of going through the historical details, sorry for all of our listeners who are really itching for it, <laughs> I want to trace Mary and Elizabeth's dynamic. Because many of the women that we are covering in this series do intersect even tangentially. I mean, you have Kaiolani with Victoria, Elizabeth in some ways with Jahanara, you have Anastasia with Elizabeth of Austria, but none of them are so connected as Elizabeth I and Mary, Queen of Scots. As we see in the not-that-great feature film, Mary, Queen of Scots, starring Saoirse Ronan and Margot Robbie, there is a somewhat ahistorical reading that Elizabeth was jealous of Mary for her beauty and how much she was adored. I'm simplifying that movie, but I do not care. Once again, (laughs) Rain did their dynamic better. 
In actuality, the two women never met. They did exchange a decent amount of letters, however, but there wasn't, for all that we can assess, very negative feelings on Elizabeth's part towards Mary as a person. And I'm going to be that person that extensively quotes a Twitter thread by Kate Maltby, along with pulling up one of her articles, that really puts what's wrong with the Mary Queen of Scots, the film, but also it really goes and put some of those rumors to bed. So let me bring that up. I'm tired of movies which show Elizabeth and Mary as two sides of the same woman. We also see the recent stage version of Mary Stewart. With chance giving them different destinies, women are not interchangeable. Though this movie will not tell you, Elizabeth and Mary did face some similar dilemmas, but Elizabeth made better choices. Both Boffel and Robert Dudley wanted to be free to marry queens. Just as Boffel was suspected of killing Mary's husband, Dudley was suspected of killing his own wife. So Elizabeth refused to marry him. Mary never had the sensitivity to her reputation that Elizabeth showed. It is shitty that Tudor queens had to suppress their desires to suit the sexual double standards of their gossip-ridden age. Yeah, of course. Though Boffel had already seduced and dumped two wives, which is bad news bears no matter what. But judgment and self-control have always mattered. To be fair to Mary, one key difference between her and Elizabeth lay in their education. From age five, Mary was raised in her French in-laws to be the perfect decorative queen consort. Her pride was her needlework. Catherine de' Medici did not want a politically sophisticated daughter-in-law. By contrast, Elizabeth had a famously tough childhood, having to argue herself out of capital treason charges at both Mary and Edward's courts, and also had a very good humanist education. She also chose to take lessons from Roger Ashman in classical statecraft after she became queen. So everyone agrees that poor young Mary was totally ill-equipped to show up from a French childhood and take over a dispilatous Scottish court. Unlike Elizabeth, she had no preparation. But the film's idea that she was doing quite well till the sexist men all conspired is bullocks. Even more bullocksy, the idea that Elizabeth ever thought that Mary was doing a good job in Scotland. In this film, there is a scene where she tells her counsel this talented Mary could be a good queen for England and a worthy successor. In fact, Elizabeth wrote anxious letters to Mary and others about her fear that Mary would destabilize England's neighbor. Then, as now, no one wants a failed state on their border. As the film does show, Elizabeth was threatened by the idea of a fellow queen being deposed or killed. Dangerous precedent. But she despaired of Mary and wrote about her as if a foolish child. She never admired her as an equal. Crucially, even with a female director and two great actresses, this is still a version of Mary, hot and up for it, versus Elizabeth, ugly and frigid, written by a male screenwriter and a male historian. It follows a line taken by centuries of men who have written about these women. So yes, it's great that female film directors are finally taking on the histories of women, and hurrah for showing us 16th century menstruation. But it's going to take more than that to reclaim these women's histories from the centuries of men who have shaped them. I wanted to go and give you that context. Yeah, because they always play it to the point of there are two two roads diverged in the woods, and Elizabeth took the virgin, I'm not going to be with a man, but I'm going to be a powerful ruler with the attributes of a man leader, and Mary foolishly chooses to get with dudes, have a child, maybe she secures the future throne, but she ends up becoming betrayed by these men and is actually put down a path of failure. 
Whereas, let's go and take a lesson from Queen Bess and try to find more of a middle road. Mm-hmm. Where it really is that, I remember when the posters first came out, where it said, had Elizabeth with Born to Rule and Mary had Born to Fight. It's Wait. totally the opposite. <laughs> Mary was born into, like, paramount of privilege. She was literally a queen in her own right from day one. Elizabeth was rendered a bastard and nearly died several times from the whims of other people. Elizabeth wasn't stupid, not just because she had a really good education that she was gifted, but she knew how to go and spot her own weaknesses and was going to go and fill in her own gaps. Mary did not seem to have that type of wherewithal. Mary had a lot more sense of, I'm here because God wills it. I've done my homework for the day. Exactly. Which I'm <laughs> I like, would like, I would like my extra credit, please. <laughs> exactly. And again, like, I don't think that that makes Mary a bad person or a dumb person. But she also, too, did not make the greatest of life choices. No, it just makes her a very short-sighted person. Yeah. And not understanding the bigger picture game. Well, and also, too, is that Mary had been antagonizing Elizabeth, too, for a long time. Jumping back to when Mary was married to Francis, a few things were going on. Mary de Guise was acting as regent and the very Protestant Scottish Parliament did not like her. Mary de Guise being French and having her daughter being the Queen of France, etc., had the support of French troops. The Protestant Scottish lords struck a deal with the English via the Treaty of Berwick to have support expelling the French troops. And there was another issue, though, that really irked Elizabeth and the English in general. Mary and Francis had combined coat of arms. His was the French fleur-de-lis, and Mary's with the Scottish lion and the English lions and emblems. Mm. Pretty much visually conveying that Mary was the rightful Catholic Queen of England. Inciting Mary's refusal to ratify the Treaty of Edinburgh, in which Scotland's Protestant leaders acknowledged that Elizabeth as the rightful Queen of England, Elizabeth refused her cousin a warrant of safe passage through English waters on her return from France to Scotland. So from the first time that Mary is heading back to Scotland, things are not ideal between these two women. Yeah, it's very short-sighted. Yeah. And now the two of them did become friendlier in their letters over the years, but it all took a turn with Mary's marriage to Darnley, the birth of James, Darnley's murder, and the marriage to Bobble. Basically, during Mary's two years of hell, Mm -hmm. things really... fell apart between them. Yeah. News that Mary had married Boffel reached Elizabeth, and she wrote yet another impassioned and incredibly direct letter to her cousin, warning her in no uncertain terms that Mary's actions had scandalized Europe and threatened the future of her reign in Scotland. How could a worse choice be made for your honor than in such haste to marry such a subject, who besides other and notorious lacks, public fame has charged with the murder of your late husband, besides the touching of yourself as also in some part, though we trust in that behalf falsely. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And you know what? This is like that friend who makes bad choices and then you want to point out, you say to them, hey, look at your life. Look at your choices. What? What? What What are are you doing? doing? And then they get uppity about it instead of saying, you know what? I will look at my life choices right now. I'm making some that aren't great. Well, and this letter also shows, too, that Elizabeth was aware of the less than ideal circumstances of what had probably happened to Mary, too, with Bothwell. Well, if she's aware of it, how many other people are aware of it? It's not a secret. Yeah. 
By marrying Bothell and Elizabeth's view in all the worlds, Mary had shown herself incapable of ruling independently. Mm. Worst of all, by marrying the man suspected of murder, Mary showed a fatal, utter indifference to public opinion and a deafeningly reckless refusal to heed her cousin's impassioned pleads for caution and deliberation. And that section is me quoting from the Crown Chronicles, which does quite a bit of unhelpful leaps in judgment, but still has extensive quotes from the letters between the women and I thought it was a really interesting source. The whole thing is too is that Mary Wood isn't going to win regardless let's just go and agree that Bothell probably assaulted her and yes. forced her hand. Yeah. She can't say no, no. in a lot of ways. Well that and that's sort of what's pointed out in this book too about with her maid. Yeah. And you know it's it, the and the king essentially wants to get to the meat of it which is did he dishonor her aka is she still a virgin? Yeah. Otherwise regardless of the circumstances she has to get married. Well, and that's the whole thing. Even though Mary had been married and she was a queen, she was still subjected to those types of social mores. 100%. Yeah. The thing is, though, is that regardless of that, though, things still only got worse between the two women. By the end, Elizabeth and Mary, they were still exchanging letters. And then Mary sent some letters that clearly implicate her in the plot to kill Elizabeth. Mm. So Elizabeth signs her death warrant after tearing up the first version, signing a second, and then leaving the room, and then getting really upset that her order was followed, basically trying to go and cause as much plausible deniability. Because Elizabeth is thinking, if I kill a queen, that means that another king or queen could kill me. Yes. And if it's been done once, it can happen again. Well, and that was the whole thing. Look at how much breaking of precedent these Tudors have done. Yeah. You know, the Tudor is even coming to the throne in the first place. Hang, what is that precedent? Hang on to the crown. Hang on to the crown. It's literally picked off a bloody field between the huge feuds between two families warring for years. And it's just this random outlier grabs it and says, the Tudors are on the throne. Exactly. Henry VIII gets away with murdering his wives. He breaks apart from the Catholic Church and decides to declare himself the ruler of the Church of England. Yep. So I'm just saying she's fitting in with the family mold of breaking the rules as it was. Pretty much. Because another thing too in that process as well is that James, little baby James, is now 20 years old. Yeah. He hasn't seen his mom the entire time. I decide not to depress myself and find out if he had any sort of relationship with his mother after she was imprisoned. But Elizabeth was still worried, regardless what their relationship was, that he would invade afterwards. So she had a lot of thoughts. But regardless, Mary finally died by execution on the 8th of February, 1587, almost 20 years after Darnley died. And her son, James VI, later succeeded Elizabeth I in 1603 as James I of England. What about the rumor that Elizabeth set Mary up by, like, taking one of her letters and there was extra space and so they wrote something potentially That's more to do with... No, that's more to do with the casket letters regarding Darnley. Mary had a cipher. After reading, like, Mary definitely knew. Yeah, that there was a plot around to kill Elizabeth. And she was decently cool with it. It's much more involved than just, we randomly found these eight letters in this special casket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a, there was a network of letters and people. Yeah, we properly intercepted. There was an actual plot. Yes. Not a, well, if you squint at it, maybe we could say there's a plot, madam. I mean, there was a plot. How deeply Mary was in is still debatable, but she was still involved enough that with recent passing of rules that happened, like within the 
previous decade. If you were part of a plot to go and kill the Sovereign... Yeah, you were in trouble. You yeah, were and automatically you were gonna, done. Exactly. I mean, regardless, Mary did not end up being the Queen of England as she thought was her right. But her son, her very Protestant son, James... Did. Exactly. Well, you know, anyway, you can take together, I guess. Yeah. So, that was Mary, Queen of Scots. <laughs> It's a lot. It is a lot. Well, and I think, too, it is one of those things where, from a high level, how much they does someone have pushed by the winds of fate and chance versus how much do they actually have agency in doing stuff with that? That's always an interesting part because it's usually set up that Mary is pushed around by the things of chance. You know, she becomes queen when she's, like, a baby. Mm-hmm. She's pushed around at the French court. Then she tries to finally push back in Scotland and it blows up in her face. But I don't really think of it that way. No. Here's the thing. She wasn't always getting pushed around, but she did make some fatal choices that didn't help. And I think that, again, like it's hard not to go and compare her to Elizabeth as her contemporary. But Elizabeth also had another example, which was the other Mary in her life, her sister. Mm-hmm. And she saw what happened to Mary when she got married. And then when Mary was unable to go and have a child all of that type of stuff and the type of horrible strife that happens when you're trying to go and impose one type of Christianity over the other, all of that, right? So she, yeah, she learned what not to do by witnessing it instead of Mary saying, how has Elizabeth been able to handle this? Because she's dropped into a very similar circumstance where there is that, you know, religious strife and all this other kind of business. Mm -hmm. She decides to be a hardliner instead of saying, how do I actually make both sides happy and come out on top? Yeah. And that's another thing, too, is that this framing of Mary as being much more tolerant and laissez-faire and, like, girl boss feminism. Yeah, right. She she wasn't. She was very Catholic, very staunch about it, really mean. And very intolerant well, in and, a lot of ways. Well, and she she very much had that divine right of kings yeah. going for her. She did. She, it was her divine right to be on the Scottish throne, and it was her divine right as being part of the true Catholic Church to go and sit on the English throne. See, that was one thing that really didn't crop up a lot in Brain. They no. made her a little too lib. Yeah, they made her a little, a little bit lot lib. But it was rain, and it had the most amazing costumes ever. Shout out to Meredith Pollock. And it had amazing music choices. It had Megan Follows. You had, like, King Henry. You have everything. It's a, it's a hot mess. But you know what? That's why it works, because that's who Mary was. Mary was a hot mess and everything happened so quickly and then nothing happened at all and then it ends with a bang. Rain. <laughs> Mary Queen of Scots. Song may she rain. <laughs> Yes, we've done 10 books. Mm-hmm. And that's the end of season one. We will return with season two after a little bit of a break. Yeah, hopefully I can go and finish my final dissertation chapter in yeah. that period. Whatever. It's not whatever, Felicia. Whatever. I need to finish before my funding runs out. Whatever, Russ. Whatever. Oh. But we're, we'll still be on the socials, so... 
all, we're going to be posting. So, and definitely our Tumblr is always active with plenty of stuff. So mm-hmm. if you're really desperate, don't worry. We'll be on Twitter. You can always message us or add us, add us on Instagram, wherever. We're on, we're on all the places. All so. the things. You're already like, ah, oh, like, what am I going to go and do? Just pick, pick, pick your poison, pick your app. Fair we're enough. there. Follow us for more research, fun facts, soundtracks, and aesthetic posts. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, and Twitter at Royal Diaries Pod. 